great to hang out with you for 45 minutes. Um, I, I, I was having a, a rare moment to have time with Wendy and Terry for lunch, and uh, I suddenly noticed it was five minutes to my seminar starting, so I ran. So I do apologize, I'm very sweaty. But we're here, we're here. Father, we commit this time to you. I pray for your blessing on each person that's here, Lord God. But we're going to be talking about the subject of sharing the gospel. And Lord, as we talk about that, the reality is it's not just the people who are in this room who will be affected by what we're going to talk about. The reality is this could actually impact hundreds, if not thousands of people who our lives come in contact with. Father, we ask you by your Holy Spirit, would you teach us and help us and help us to become better at something that none of us finds easy. Anoint us, we pray. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Evangelism, there was, there was two guys, they were out from a local church just trying to reach out to some of their community. And so they came to a particular door, they knocked the door and the lady opened the door and they said, hi, we're from the local church, we're here just to talk to people about Jesus. And the lady freaked out and told, her, told them in no uncertain terms that she really didn't want them uh, coming to the, her door. So she slammed the door shut, but it bounced open again. And so she slammed it shut again and it bounced open again. And she thought, those rascals have put their foot in the door. So she, they, she took a step down the hallway and she was going to run at it and shoulder barge the door closed. At which point one of the young men said, excuse me, ma'am, you might want to move your cat. <laughs> so how, how do we share the gospel in a way that's inoffensive, that actually wins people over? Now, I believe in cold contact evangelism. I believe in that. You know, when you meet someone you've never met before, and you tell them about Jesus. And we've seen that happen, and we see the effectiveness of that. But what I'm going to largely speak to you today about is about that kind of ongoing relationship with your work colleagues, family members, people in your community. How, what's the long-term strategy for winning some of them over? And I've got a very simple long-term strategy for you. It's three words. Pray, care, share. Say that with me. Pray, care, share. So let's start with Jesus before we kind of go into the various points. Jesus is our ultimate model for effective evangelism. In the Gospels, there's a record of 132 times where Jesus had encounters with people. Of those 132, six of them were in the temple. Four of them were in synagogues, but 122 of them were on streets, in houses, at parties, under trees, at weddings, beside wells. Jesus understood that holiness wasn't separation from sinners, it's separation from sin. So Jesus Christ jumped into their worlds. He spent time with the corrupt tax officials, and yet he was in no way corrupt himself. He hung out with the drunkards, but he didn't drink once. Jesus Christ spent time with the prostitutes, yet didn't compromise his moral standards. He didn't expect people, especially unbelievers, to jump into his worlds. He jumped into their worlds. And we know theologically that's a bigger jump than just a person becoming a person's friend. This was God becoming a man, incarnate in a culture. And then he threw himself into the subcultures of his culture to win people over. And this is what Jesus did. So three things, if we're going to aspire to be like that, three things we can do. Number one is pray. This is what Paul says. And this kind of gives us a glimpse into the heart of the apostle Paul Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. Paul says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. So 
he's kind of precursoring something he's going to say by anticipating you're not going to believe him. Yeah, it's like when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you think, okay, what comes next is going to be unbelievable. Because so Jesus says, I'm really not lying. And this is what Paul's saying here. He's saying, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. My conscience is confirming it. And he goes on to say, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He is Paul He's saying, I wish I was accursed and cut off from Christ. I cannot think of anything more horrendous. The idea of being accursed and cut off from Christ. So we think, okay, Paul, you're just using language to flower it up. You're just just kind of using the language to make a strong point. You must be exaggerating. But he anticipates you're going to say that by saying, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. My conscience confirms it. And I kind of think, wow, Paul you were that gutted at the state of the unsaved that you wish you yourself could be accursed and cut off from Christ so that your kinsmen, the Jewish fellow Jews, could come to Christ. And he goes on and says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Wow, does that describe us? Does that describe how we feel about lost people? And then I kind of look at the life of Paul and I see how, okay, he went from place to place relentlessly chasing after the unsaved facing stonings and imprisonments and persecution everywhere he went he was relentless one place to the next place to the next place and I think I think he believed that I actually think he ached he had this gut feeling he was gutted at the possibility that people weren't saved so you got to trans first of all we've got to allow ourselves to believe what the bible actually says about the lost state of human beings And I know it's not comfortable to look at the realities of eternal lostness, especially if we've got people who we know who have passed away. I know it's not comfortable, but it is the truth. And when we look at these realities, you should allow your emotions to engage with those realities and like Paul, become gutted. Almost, he says, I have unceasing anguish. Live with a constant discomfort in your life. That's okay to do that. Paul was also probably one of the most joyful people you could be around, but he also carried an ache. Don't avoid the ache. Don't pretend it's not there. Don't try and brush it off and say, oh, well, there were good people, God will accept them. No, understand the gospel. Really understand. It's not about being good or bad. There's no good people get to heaven. It's only bad people get to heaven. It's forgiven people who get to heaven. It's the gospel that saves people. And so allow yourself to live with an ache, yet be a joyful individual. So allow yourself to live with the discomfort of an ache, even if you're not an evangelist. Paul wasn't an evangelist. He was an apostle teacher. He wasn't an evangelist, yet he lived with his unceasing anguish and ache. And allow that ache to translate into prayer. Uh, the D.L. D. Moody, famous evangelist from a previous generation, apparently every day he prayed by name for 100 people he knew who didn't know Jesus. Every day he prayed for these 100 souls. These would be relatives, people in his community, people he grew up with that he remembered. And every day he petitioned God's on their behalf for the salvation of their souls. By the time D.L. Moody died, 96 of them had come to faith. Wow. And at his funeral, as the casket was being lowered into the grounds, the last four repented for their sins at the funeral. Yay. You gotta pray. You gotta pray. So I'm not suggesting you pray for 100 names. But how about five? But just get your pens and paper out or... Bones, 
Think about five people you know, maybe work colleagues, friends. Just allow the Holy Spirit just to highlight five people. Just write their names down just now on a piece of paper. Write down five names. Just five names. You can refine this list afterwards. But just off the cuff, five names. And then my challenge to myself and to you is those five people, just ask God every day for them. As often as you remember them, ask God for the salvation of their soul. Pray to God for them. Tell God about your neighbors before you tell your neighbors about God. This paves the way. Prayer behind the scenes opens hearts. It's like a farmer plows the earth before they put the seed in. Prayer is one of the, the, the most effective things you can do to open up that harvest field for receptivity to hear the gospel. So petition heaven. Apart from anything, um, prayer brings you to the place where, I, and it, I, I, don't, I don't fully say this other than just to simply say that people who pray get more opportunities to win people to Jesus than people who don't pray. Terry Virgo this morning was speaking about how he prays in tongues all the time. I mean, we've been talking a lot about praying in tongues in, in this conference. And I have to say that this has been, it's almost been a fresh discovery for me in the last probably year. I've been praying in tongues more than I've ever prayed in tongues in my life. Some days it'll be hours. And I love praying in tongues. And I'm seeing more opportunities and more impact. And there is a correlation. There is a, you're praying about things you don't know about. So you're praying in line with the will of God. You're praying about things you don't even know you're praying about. So you're going to start seeing answers to prayers you didn't even know you'd prayed. How does that work? So I'm convinced that some of the miracles or the random coincidences that happen around our lives weren't, actually weren't coincidences. We'd actually prayed about them. We just didn't know we'd prayed about them. We're praying about things we don't know about. So we start seeing answers to prayers we didn't even know we'd prayed. So start praying in tongues. Paul the Apostle did this all the time. But just, just be a person who's in prayer because it's almost like coming from that place of prayer, even if you're not even praying for specific people, God will bring people across your path and there'll be a fruitfulness comes from your abiding. So pray, pray. And also pray for opportunities. Pray, God, give me opportunities today. At least have it on your radar to... God, I'm, I'm going to work today or I'm going to go to that coffee shop today or I'm meeting that old friend from school today. God, give me a way in. Give me just a seed to sow. I don't need to clench the deal. I just need to get a seed sown. I want to take them that next step further to being a saved person. So you're praying, you're praying, you're praying. In fact, let's just take a moment to pray. Everyone stand to your feet. <clears throat> okay, all, all together simultaneously. You've got your five names. Everyone got their five names? Okay, every, every one of you all together, just start calling God for those five people just now. Go for it, and I'll do the same. Go. Lord God in heaven, I pray, Father. I miss magic in Jesus' name. Save magic. In the name of Jesus, save my Auntie Margaret. Lord God, bring it to faith in you. Let her come to know Jesus, I pray. I pray, God, that John will come to know Jesus Christ. Let him get saved. Draw him to yourself, I pray. Open his heart to you. I pray my sister will come back to that faith that you called her to have. God, we ask that in Jesus' name. Oh God, do this, I pray, Lord. God, open up Frank's heart, Frank and Susan, save Frank and Susan, Lord God. Win them over to you, woo them, I pray, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Okay, God, you've heard our prayers. You know all those names. You know their lives. You formed them in their mother's wombs. You created them, and now we're asking you to redeem those you've created. Save every one of those souls, we pray, God. We're daring to ask and believe that five times the number of people in this auditorium will be saved as a result of our prayers because we're asking you, Father, for their names to be saved in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Take your seats. So, number one, you pray. 
Number two, we care. Care. There's a young sales rep. He was in discussion with his sales manager one day, and he just lost a big deal. And the sales rep was lamenting to his sales manager and says, I guess it just proves that you can lead a horse to the water, but you can't make him drink. And the manager replied, son, my advice is your job is not to make him drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. Is your life making other people thirsty? So you pray for people and then you care. You care. Doug Nichols, who was the director of Action International, in 1967, he was a missionary in India and he was there with a deep passion to reach the Indian peoples and he, he, he fell ill with tuberculosis and it was highly frustrating because he had to be put into confinement in a, in a sanitarium for many, many months as he, as he dealt with this terrible disease and, and he was frustrated because he, he was there as a missionary and he wanted to get out and be planting churches and sharing the gospel but now he's finding himself of, of ill health. When he was there, he decided, well, I've got to make the most of this opportunity. So he took with him a pile of gospel tracts and a number of gospel of John's in native languages in the hope that, okay, while I'm there, I may as well make the most of the opportunity as a missionary. And he, but the, 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 the local people who were also in a sanitarium, ill people, they just saw him as a, as a foreign invader. They, they weren't interested in his message. And so they kept him at arm's length. So he was utterly frustrated. Here he was, frustrated as a missionary, wanting to be out there doing the work, and he was in, a, in this, this environment where he was recovering from illness and no one in this environment was interested in the message. And it was a hugely frustrating time for him. In the nights, he often was waking up, coughing in the middle of the night, gasping for breath. And one particular night, as he woke up coughing, across the, the ward from him was an elderly gentleman who was very emaciated. And he, was, he, was trying, he could see him struggling to try and get out of his bed. And eventually, after much struggle, he gave up and slumped back into his bed with a sigh. And he tried again, but he didn't, he didn't manage, he had no strength, so he slumped back into his bed. In the morning, there was a terrible, terrible stench in the wards. Uh, the, the old man had uh, soiled himself in the night because he couldn't get himself to the toilet. And a number of the other patients were frustrated with him, and, and one of the nurses came in to clean him up and slapped him uh, because cause he, 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 messed, he made this smell and this terrible mess. Anyway, the, the next night, and Doug, Doug Nichols saw all this, the next night, in the middle of the night, again, Doug Nichols woke up, uh, gasping for breath himself, and again, this emaciated man across the, the ward from him uh, was struggling to try and get himself out of his bed, uh, but couldn't hold his own weight. He did this a few times, and then again, slumped into his bed, but Doug Nichols, uh, even though he was fighting for strength, and for, for, for his own strength, he got out of his bed and w- went across the ward to this old man and leant over, and I think the, the old guy cowered, expecting him to get into trouble, but, uh, but Doug Nichols picked him up, and he, he carried him and, and helped him get to the toilet, and he waited for the guy as he did the toilet, and then he carried him back to his bed and placed him back in his bed, and as he placed him down in the bed, uh, the old man reached forward and kissed Doug Nichols on the side of the cheek, and he placed him down. Anyway, the next morning, Doug Nichols was woken up by one of the other patients bringing him a steaming hot cup of tea. And, and pointed at the Gospels and asked for one. And all that day, people came from within the, the sanitarium asking for the Gospel of John's that he was distributing. Isn't that beautiful? You see, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And this is, this is, this is the message we're carrying. God, God is wanting us to not only have words of love, but also do demonstrations of love. 
Uh, a couple of stories from my life, just, just in line with this. And I, I, it's such a simple thing, but it can have a profound effect. Care. Simple, but profound. I remember one, one day we just started the church in Edinburgh and we were living in a flat in the city centre. We had our own little parking space outside and I had a Mark II Volkswagen Golf, great car, and I was giving it a clean. I was giving it a wash, wash and a wax outside in the sunshine. As I was doing this, an Indian couple uh, who were heavily laden rucksacks and suitcases came around the corner and started walking kind of towards me. So I left the bucket and my stuff and I went over and said, oh, can I help you? Because I could see they were laboring with all this luggage. And they said, oh, thank you very much. So I, so I helped carry their luggage. And they were actually moving into my stairwell. I mean, it could have been anywhere, but it was my stairwell. So I said, oh, I, I live in the stairwell. So I carried, they were upstairs, top floor. So I carried all their suitcases up to the top floor. And they were so incredibly grateful. They said, we've been in the UK for two weeks and no one has shown this kindness. Thank you so much. So when they learned that I was their neighbor, they said, we would like to invite you and your wife for a curry. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Any excuse for a curry. So we went round one night for a curry, and what a curry, I'm telling you. Well, we experienced that curry for several days to come. It was, it was, it was mental. It was absolutely mental. We had this curry, and over the meal, we, we got talking to them, and they were saying, so what do you do? And I said that I worked as an architect, uh, but oh, we also lead a church. And they said, well, we'd like to come to your church. It's this Hindu couple. They were only in Edinburgh for, for a short time. He was on secondment with some bank or something. He was working as a manager. And so they came to our church. And I remember I was 20 people at the time in the church. And I remember us preaching the gospel. And as I always do, I always do an altar call at the end. And at the end, when I did the altar call, her hand went up. And, and I spoke to her afterwards, and she says, uh, I prayed that prayer. And when I prayed that prayer, it felt like electricity flowed through my whole body. She, it was so tangible for her. And... They never came back to church because they were only in Edinburgh a short time. But from that point forward, she said, your God is the true God. They'd narrowed down their options from several million gods <laughs> to the true one. So how, how, how did that happen? I offered to carry a couple's suitcases. I mean, you can do that, right? We can do this stuff. Pray, care, say care. care. Remember, I was preaching in Dublin at my friend's church in Dublin a number of years ago. And I'd finished preaching and I was getting the Ryanair flight home and it was late. <laughs> they always pride themselves on being early. Anyway, it was, it was late. And I, we, I was waiting in a large queue. We we're getting the flight back to Presswick Airport in, in, in near Glasgow. And there was a queue of us waiting and there was a guy standing behind me. And he said to me, tapped me on the shoulder, says, do you know what time this, the flight gets in? And so I said the time, I think it, it was estimated to arrive back into Glasgow at this time. And Presswick Airport's right outside of Glasgow. So if you're going to get from Presswick to Glasgow, you need public transport. And he said, do you know what time the buses stop? And I said, oh, to be honest, I'm not sure. Now, my dad was picking me up at Presswick. So I could see he was concerned that he was going to arrive into the fl his flight was going to come in and there would be no public transport, so he'd be stranded. So I, I just said to him, oh, wh where'd you stay? And I said, he said, Bishop Briggs. And I said, well, my dad could give you a lift home. And so he said, you serious? I said, yeah, of course, no problem. He's got space. I said, well, that's very kind. So anyway, he said, so what were you doing in Dublin? And I said, I was preaching at my friend's church. I said, all right. And I said, what about you? And he had, he had his golf clubs there. He said, I was playing golf. So that kind of killed the conversation right there. <laughs> not interested in golf. Anyway, we got onto the plane. It wasn't reserved seats, so you just kind of free-for-all sit anywhere. So I found my way to a seat, and you know, two minutes later, he 
came on the plane and he looked around and he saw me. And he came over and he chose to sit down beside me. And so we were just about to take off and he said, so could I just pick up on something? You said you were speaking at your friend's church. What, what do you believe? I said, well, I believe in, I became a believer when I was 15. I believe in Jesus and I'm really excited about him. I love telling people about him. I said, wow. And then one question after another, the whole flight. So he asked me, what do you believe? I told him about Jesus. He said, and, and what was it brought you to that decision? And I told him my testimony. And I, and I kind of stopped after every question. I didn't go any further. He kept asking me the questions. And he kept asking me these questions all the way through to the point where it's like every question you could ask, if you had a, like a script and you think, okay, I want to present the whole gospel to someone. And at various points, you'll ask this question and I'll tell you the next bit. And you ask this and you're a sinner. And then you, why was the cross necessary? And the, Every question, it was like a script. In fact, you remember Spitting Image? He was one of the script writers for Spitting Image, so that's who he was. And so he asked me question after question after, on, the, on this flight, and I told him the entire gospel and about the love of God for his life. And at the end of the flight, so when we, Dad picked him up, we took him to Bishop Briggs, dropped him off at home, and he said to me, by the way, I would have called myself an atheist before I got on this plane, but you've made me reconsider my entire stance on life and God. Wow! I just offered him a lift, and it wasn't even in my car. <laughs> you can do that, right? You can pick up someone's luggage and offer to carry it for them and go and eat a curry at their house, or you can just offer them a lift in someone else's car. Even better, your own car. It's just simple. It's just not living this blinkered life where we just kind of forget everyone else around us. Because, hey, do you know what? There's always stuff that will worry us. I'm always worried about stuff. We always battle worry in our life. There's always something on our horizon. And sometimes because there's always things on our horizon, we just we miss the opportunities that sometimes God has placed right on our doorstep. And so we've got to just keep our chin up, just keep looking around, and just being alert to opportunity, and just make the most of every opportunity, even if they seem undramatic. So care is so, so important. It's so simple but it's so important. Care is using your resources to bless another human being. It's called love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, sometimes, however, care will look like you using your resources to help them, but sometimes care will you be using God's resources to help someone. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are incredibly powerful. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when Paul says, you know, um, you know if, if, if I speak in the tongue of men or of angels, but have not love, I'm nothing. Paul was saying that the gifts mean nothing if you don't have love. Conversely, if you love people, you will find it really easy to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So if you see someone who's hungry and you love them, what will you do? Well, you'll give them some of your food. If you see someone who's lonely and you love them, what will you do? Well, you'll give them some of your time. But if you see someone who needs physical healing and you love them, well, you can't use your resources at that point. You've got to lay hold of heaven's resources and on the back of compassion, you bring an answer to them or they're needing direction and you ain't got the resource for that kind of thing, but heaven does. So you lay hold of God and you bring them a prophetic word or a word of wisdom. So love makes it very easy. Faith is important as well, but love really is the conduit on which the gifts of the Holy Spirit flow. Six times in the gospels when Jesus performed miracles, it mentions specifically moved with compassion he and then he says he healed their sick compassion enables you to flow in the miraculous i, I remember so so th th this is this is basically it's just care except it's just supernatural care i remember my, my dad dad's uh, 93 now 
And uh, I took dad for a hearing test. He hadn't been for a hearing test for about 40 years. In fact, I don't think he'd ever been for a hearing test. I figured for the last 20 years, he probably should have had a hearing test because <laughs> we're the volume was getting louder and louder when I was talking to dad. So anyway, we went for this hearing test and in Boots in, in Edinburgh City Centre. And uh, we, we, really nice guy, this, another guy called Peter, who was the guy dealing, dealing, doing the various tests with them. And we got to know him. And, you know, over the course of several appointments, you know, every six months you go for an appointment and get dad's got hearing aids put in and you got checks up and so on. Over the course of time, we got to know him. Peter knew that I led a church. And uh, anyway... One time we went to visit Peter, he said, uh, he said to me, Peter, he said, Peter, or Steve, uh, he said, <laughs> Steve, he said, I, I've got a collection of guitars. And uh, he said, he's got all these guitars, like Gibson, Les Paul, and various famous electric guitars. And he said, um, would anyone in your church want to buy a guitar? Because he, he understands that everyone in church just plays guitars. <laughs> Duh. Uh, and I, I, I said, well, why are you selling your guitars? I said, oh, I've got carpal tunnel syndrome in my hands and this numbness and constant pain. So I, I've been battling it for a period of time and I, I figure, you know what, I may as well sell my guitars. And I said, well, how about this? How about me and my deaf dad pray with you? I didn't say that. I'm just, I'm just saying that to you for a joke. I said, how about me and my dad pray with you? And so he said, yeah. I said, yeah, that'd be great. So just in, in his little kind of testing room in Boots in Edinburgh, we held his hands and we prayed for God to heal his hands. And that was it. Six months later, we go back for the follow, we have these six monthly checkups with that. And the guy's been completely healed, completely, completely healed. I love that. I love that. Totally healed, playing his guitar again. And that was maybe three years ago, still playing his guitar, completely healed. And he hasn't come to our church We've just launched Church Online. He's, he's connecting with that. But he's been telling so many people about my church. He's been doing the evangelism for me. <laughs> pray. Because people who pray, not, not only you've got those five names, ache for them, ache for them, ache for them. But also people who pray, you get those opportunities. It just kinda, they, they just happen more. Pray in tongues a lot. You'll start seeing things that you didn't know, even know you prayed about. Then Care. Use your resources or heaven's resources to bless someone. And then it leads to share. Because people can't get saved unless they hear a certain set of facts. Now, what I want to do in this, in, this last, in this closing bit, in this last point, share, I want to camp in a, a passage in the book of Acts chapter 8, where it unpacks for us share in a way, better way than I could. So let's go there. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the roads, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, Philip was already in the middle of a revival in Samaria, just, just some area. And, uh, and from Samaria, just some area, I'll keep doing it until you get it, Samaria. <laughs> Who is the biggest lady in the Bible? The woman of Samaria, yeah. Anyway, as the Lord spoke to him in Samaria, he said, go, go to the road that goes down to Gaza, and now that road was 60 to 80 miles away from where Philip was, 60 to 80 miles. And so that was, I mean, if you had a car, that's no problem. But in those days, you had no car, so you'd walk or you'd, uh, you'd get a camel or something. And it would take a long time. So he, he went on this journey, and, the, and this is what God will do. God will lead you to people, and we, we've talked about that uh, last night. 
one of our, a couple of, in our church, Jack and Laura, they were in our north location. Uh, last January, they were with their families, just traveled up for Christmas, spent the new year with them. And they were out one afternoon for a family walk just down by the local river. <clears throat> it had been terrible rain, so the place was really, really muddy. And so they were kind of trudging through the mud. It wasn't much of a fun walk, really, because it was just so extremely muddy. And actually, they discussed turning back on the walk. But Laura and Jack said, no, we, we feel we should keep walking. That's a kind of weird thing to say in a walk. But they actually felt, oh, we've got to keep walking. They felt that. So anyway, as they went around the next corner, there was a guy hanging by his neck from a rope on a tree. So they ran over to him. Laura is, works in the medical profession. Jack grabbed the guy's legs and lifted him up. Laura and one of the other relatives went up in the tree, loosened the rope, and they got him down. And he, he, literally, it, would be, it probably th- happened 30 seconds before they went around the corner. So they got him. They got him down, and he, he was alive. Now, he was so drunk. He'd, he'd taken so much to drink before that moment. He wasn't really coherent. And also, he was a, a, a Polish chap called Camille. His English was very broken. And, and he was so drunk, so they couldn't really get much of a conversation with him. But they found a suicide note with him. And so the, in, in the meantime, they phoned for the paramedics to come. And they're coming. And they tried to converse with him, but it's broken English. So, but they, they found a suicide note, so they took a note of his home address. Anyway, they take him away, and they make sure he's safe and okay. And in the meantime, Jack and Laura write a letter, which they get translated into Polish. They get a gospel in Polish and have it sent to him with this letter. And in the letter, they said, pretty much, we believe God put us there at the right time to save your life. God has a plan for you. And they told him about Jesus, and they included a gospel in it. Isn't that a beautiful story? They just felt, no, we've got to keep walking on this rubbish walk. They just felt, we've got to keep walking. It's the strangest thing. But the Holy Spirit will do that, just push you to go that extra mile, leading you. Let's, let's be, be sensitive to those leadings. And then it says, so Philip went that, that journey, And it says, so he started out on his way. He met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in the charge of all the treasury of Kandik, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was on his way home sitting in the chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. So now an angel appeared to him first. Now the Holy Spirit's telling him, go to the chariot and stay near it. So the, the Philip heard that and said, well, this is who the Holy Spirit wanted me to meet. So he goes over to the chariot and stays near it. You've got to be led by those promptings by the Holy Spirit. Let me read you a, a testimony from a, a guy who goes to our Leith location in Edinburgh. This, this, is, this is an amazing testimony. I take a particular road home from the top of Ferry Road past the old chain pier at Granton Harbour. It leads me to Lower Granton Road where I live. As I was walking past the pier, this was, this was about a year ago, the Lord heavily impressed on my heart that I had to walk onto the pier. I then began to come up with all sorts of reasons in my heart for not doing it. I'm tired, Lord. I just finished work. It's, it's late and it's dark and it's probably not safe to walk onto the pier at this time of night. It's a kind of long pier that goes out. However, it was such a strong leading, I decided to obey it. So I went a short, while on, I went a short way uh, and then I wanted to turn back, but the Lord motioned that I should go to the very ends. On reaching the end, round the back of a hut, there I met a man sitting at the very ends. When we started talking, uh, we started talking, having a conversation, and in the middle of the conversation, he asked me a very direct question. He said, are you the sign? <laughs> I felt this was very weird, so I ignored the question. <laughs> 
during our conversation, I then discovered the, myri- the myriads of problems that he was going through, and his friend had taken his own life there at that spot very, five years ago. He planned to do the same that night, but he'd asked God for a sign, and I was that sign. After speaking to the guy for a while, I explained how he shouldn't kill himself. I told him the gospel. I took him to my home, told him about my church, and gave him my extra Bible. Isn't that awesome? I love that. An ordinary church member just heard the Holy Spirit prompt him to go on to appear and just keep walking to the end. It's those promptings. So Philip had this prompting. He met this Ethiopian eunuch and he says, then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? Now this is probably one of the most important points I'm going to make to you. Questions. Say questions. Questions. Hugely important. Do you understand what you are reading? This was, see, questions are your way in. Jesus asked 307 questions recorded in the Gospels. Jesus asked lots of questions, and he's God. Questions, hugely important. Questions help you get to know the person. Questions help people come to their own conclusions rather than just you telling them conclusions. Questions. I mean, remember when God's uh, knowing that Adam had blown it, God asked Adam, Adam, where are you? Now, just to be clear, God knew where Adam was. It wasn't like, where did I put Adam? (laughs) God's omniscient, right? He wouldn't be God if he didn't know where Adam was. But he wanted Adam to acknowledge where he'd come to. That's the point. He wanted not to know where he was geographically, but he wanted to know where he was spiritually. Adam, I want you to acknowledge where. Where are you, Adam? And so questions help people draw their own conclusions rather than you just telling them because you know when you, you suddenly realize something yourself, it goes deeper. Questions show that you're interested in someone. And if you are interested, you become interesting. It's not long before you asking questions of someone. So tell me about your job. Oh, wow, that sounds interesting. And you ask them more questions. And it's not long before that that they'll start asking you questions. If you're interested, you'll become interesting. Dale Carnegie said this, you can, become more, you, can, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. So let me just give you an example of a really good question you can use in evangelism. The question is very simply, what do you mean by that? Really important. I mean, how many times have you been in a conversation and you know, it comes out that you're a Christian or you go to church and they might come back with something like this, very variations of a theme. Something like, oh, I don't believe in that God stuff. You know, kind of science has disproved all that. Right? And you're stomped. Okay? Or you remember Ravi Zacharias' talk or something like that. And you try and remember all the statistics. And, okay? So here's the problem. As soon as someone says something like that, or oh, morality is all relative, or something like that, people say these kind of throwaway phrases, and Christians get stomped. And you feel the pressure on you to give the answers to, un, to kind of refute what they have said. But why would you want to try and refute what they've said? You see, in a courtroom, when someone in a courtroom makes a radical statement, it's not up to the other team to prove otherwise. It's up to the person who made the radical statement to prove their point. So don't you accept the burden of proof. Leave the burden of proof with them. Why make you do all the work? Let them do all the work, right? They've just said, oh, science disproves that. You know, I don't believe in God. Science disproves all that stuff. Ask them, oh, wow, what do you mean by that? 
what you will discover is they have no idea. <laughs> usually, usually, they've typically picked up someone else's argument and they, I'll use that one. Yeah, but they haven't really thought about it. Most of them. So you just say, oh, wow. In what way has science disproved religion? And then they start, all of a sudden, you're helping them to engage with something that they haven't really engaged with before. But let them do the hard work. Let them do the legwork. And if they, if, they, if, they come, if they have thought it through, and some people have, then just keep digging. Just keep asking questions. And it might come to a point where you're stomped, and that's okay. You don't have to have all the answers. But just typically, people haven't really thought through the things they say. So just ask them, well, why would you think that? And what led you to that conviction? Just ask them. Ask them questions. And what all of a sudden happens is they start understanding things. Without you telling them, they start realizing themselves. The answers they've been holding to are not necessarily the accurate answers. You know, a great question that's very easy to ask in any occasion is, can I pray for you? Very easy. I do this all the time. I, you know, anytime I'm in an encounter with a, I, I, one of, I, I'm a heart supporter. That's a, that's the best team in Edinburgh. Hey, Dan, me and Dan are at the games together. Uh, but Osmond So was one of the strikers, and I bumped into him, and I was filling up my car, uh, a garage, and he was there as well. The famous Osmond So, you don't have no idea who I'm talking about. <laughs> up where we live, he was famous, and I said, "Oh, Osmond So, I'm one of your fans," and we got into a little conversation, and I said. I'm a believer. Is there anything I can pray for you for? And he was really blown away by that. Really blown away by that. And we've actually kept in touch since then. Really blown away that someone would ask him, is there anything I can pray for you for? Ask people, is there anything I can pray for you for? And then he goes on and says, so he invited Philip to come and sit with him in the chariot. Now, this is so important. You've got to respect free will. You know, when people say, oh, I don't want you to force your religion down my throat. I agree with them. You shouldn't. God's given us the gift of free will. You work with people's free will. Let, let Go as far as they will allow you to go. And if you feel any resistance, back off. Jesus never shared truth with people who weren't interested. Never. Don't you do the same. Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. <laughs> no offense. But, but if, if you feel any resistance, if you feel someone's dis, disinterested or disengaging or kind of drifting off, just leave it. It's better to have a quality conversation in the early stages rather than pushing it too far and losing them and they look out for you and they avoid you next time. So just sow a seed and be happy with the seed you've sown. But this guy invited Philip into the chariot. So Philip went with the guy's free will. And then it says, this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humility, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And you know the passage, it goes on and talks about how by his stripes were healed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Jesus. It talks about the substitutionary death of Jesus on our behalf on the cross. Of all passages, that was the one the guy was reading. This is a setup, okay? Total setup. <laughs> and then he says... Um, the eunuch asked Philip, please tell me, who is the prophet speaking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip, beginning with this very passage of scripture, told him about Jesus. So there comes a point where you've praised, you've cared, now you've got to share. You've got to tell people about Jesus. And, you know, th this is the important bit. The apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
because it is the power of God. It, the gospel, is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. You see, that seed called the gospel has power. The skill of the farmer really isn't the important thing. It's the power of the seed that the farmer plants. You get that seed out, God will do a work. There is a certain collection of phrases you will use, which if you've done it, it will be called the gospel. And if they hear it and they believe it, they will be eternally saved. It is such an important thing. It's a good task to, probably too short for time just now, but if you had time, you know, just sit down with someone in 30 seconds. Okay, explain the gospel to someone in just 30 seconds and see if you can just sum up as tightly as you can the essential ingredients that would be enough for someone to get saved. We've got to make sure we've got the right gospel. Let me me illustrate this for you. There was a guy in an airplane and he was sitting there comfortably and an air hostess comes up to him and says, excuse me, sir, I see you're not wearing a bright yellow parachute. I have a bright yellow parachute here for you. I would like you to put it on because soon everyone's going to be wearing bright yellow parachutes. You're going to feel, when you put it on, you're going to feel so good about yourself. You will, your, esteem, your self-esteem will just grow. You'll think, wow, I feel so, I'm, I'm confident. I'm, I'm wearing this bright yellow parachute. And soon everyone's going to be wearing bright yellow parachutes, sir. Go for it. And by the way, if, if there's any trouble on the plane, it will help you. And, and the guy thinks, cool. So he puts on the bright yellow parachute. And he's like, oh yeah, I've got a bright yellow parachute. And he's sitting there and he, th- he thinks, do you know what? It's a little bit uncomfy in the seat. I was more comfy without the bright yellow parachute. But it's all right. Soon everyone's going to be wearing bright yellow parachutes. I'm such a cool guy. I can make it. I'm a winner, right? So he's sitting there and after a while he suddenly realizes that no one else is wearing bright yellow parachutes. In fact, other people on the plane are whispering and pointing at him. <laughs> Look at the guy over there wearing a bright yellow parachute. And so he suddenly becomes very self-conscious. Everyone's slagging me for wearing this bright yellow parachute. The seat was much comfier before I had a bright yellow parachute on. And after a while, he says, stuff this. And he takes off the bright yellow parachute. Okay, scenario number two. The AOSS comes up to the man and says, hello, sir. This plane's going down. You ought to wear this bright yellow parachute. It will be a lifeline to you. And by the way, when you've got on, you'll feel great about yourself. So what does the guy do? He puts on that bright yellow parachute. He doesn't care how many people are whispering or pointing at him because he's been given a lifeline. He understands that this is his only salvation. Sure, it was more comfortable in the seat without a bright yellow parachute, but he's been given a lifeline. He knows the plane's going down. He knows he desperately needs it, and he's so grateful that someone took the time to give him a lifeline. We believe in a gospel, and I do believe the gospel can make you a winner. Absolutely. More than conquerors through Christ. Absolutely. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, shines brighter and brighter till the full day. Absolutely. I believe that in God, you have abundant life. Totally. But the gospel isn't about you having a better quality of life, primarily. In fact, sometimes that's when all hell broke loose in your life when you chose to follow Jesus. Truth? Right. So yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. Abundant life, blessing, prosperity, absolutely. But with persecution, mm -hmm. but you've been given a lifeline. What happened on the cross 2,000 years ago is that a man who was also fully God died as your substitute. One man on behalf of all people. All of the sin of the world was placed on one man. He died. He, he took the punishment that we were due. The, the wrath of God was diverted from us onto him. And he took the full unmitigated weight of the wrath of God upon himself so that you and I could be acquitted. That's how much God loves you. And that's how serious your sin is. And so repent sinners and trust in that savior. He resurrected, put your trust in him and let him be Lord of your life. And so that's the gospel. And here's the thing, right? 
those, you, could, you could have all have explained it in some way, your own words. Every single time I do that, every single time I have the opportunity to tell someone the gospel, every time I walk away thinking, oh, I should have said it like this. Anyone else done that? Right? You, every single time I walk away thinking, oh, if I'd only said it like that or given that illustration or used that phrase every single time, I'm the same. So, but just, just don't worry about it. In our own fumbling way, it's not to do with the skill of the farmer, it's to do with the power of the seeds. Just make sure what you said is accurate, not like kind of some curveball theology, accurate about Jesus' death and resurrection. You're a sinner, you need saved. He did it for you. Tell him about Jesus and his resurrection. And then tell him, put, the trust, put your trust in him. Now, you do it in your own fumbling way and all of a sudden you will discover that message has power. And you may sow that seed and you maybe don't see the harvest from that seed. But the truth is, God's got something to work with now. You may clench the deal. You may just sow a seed and someone else clenches the deal. But a seed has been sown. That's where the power comes from. And then it goes on in verse 36 and says, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is some water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? So he gave orders to stop the chariot and then both the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Wow. Suddenly took Philip away so that the Ethiopian eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. I mean, that's incredible. Isn't it interesting that, that, that Philip was led and he had to walk the 60 to, 80, 60 to 100 miles to the location but then after job done it's like kind of star trek moment Bing. <laughs> it just disappears wow that's kind of out there isn't it i think god did that i believe in a god who can do anything right i think god did that but that ethiopian who went on his way rejoicing albeit slightly freaked out <laughs> you know i think you think wow this has been some afternoon this has really been some. And what, and what did the Ethiopian eunuch know? I think, he knew, I think he knew enough. Here's what he knew. He knew that God knew him. I love that. A guy who was in the middle of a revival in some area was told by God to travel 100 miles and leave the revival where thousands were getting saved and miracles were happening and talk to one guy. Oh. You know, last night, and I had that word of knowledge for the person with the kneecap that popped out and uh, the, the right kneecap. At the end, a lady maybe here today, uh, I was chatting to her at the end and she had just fallen on a train, like a, a, a railway platform and knocked her knee out of place and it twisted slightly to the right and it kept popping in and out and giving her lots of pain her right knee. She came forward last night and was healed and she, and she was kneeling in the stage to test it. No pain, all gone. I love that. And you know what? I, just, I, love, the, I love the miracle. But you know what I love behind the miracle? is that God saw your life. I mean, hey, keep the miracle, but just knowing you're loved by God, that, that in itself. This Ethiopian eunuch suddenly realized, God knows me. God, you knew me and you sent someone to speak to me. Awesome. Number two, he knew that God was powerful. How did he know that? Well, the evangelist just disappeared. <laughs> wow, powerful gods. He knew God knew me. And he knew God's powerful. Number two, he knew Isaiah 53. God did something for me. Jesus died on the cross and rose again and trusting him gets me saved. He knew the gospel. Number four, he knew that having responded to the gospel, you should get baptized. 
He didn't know anything else. He just knew those four things. But that was kind of enough. You know what happens next? It doesn't say all this in the Bible, but in church history, there's a the church father called Irenaeus in the second century. He describes this Ethiopian eunuch, and, it's, and he said that this man was also sent into the regions of Ethiopia to preach what he himself had believed. And the, the impact of this Ethiopian eunuch in Ethiopia was absolutely colossal. He brought the gospel to a country and potentially to a continent. Isn't that awesome? He knew that God was powerful. God knows him. He knew Isaiah 53, and he, he, he saw God was all-powerful. And he, and he told people to get baptized. And, and he, he preached this all over Ethiopia. And churches were birthed, and the gospel spread. You see, you can count the number of seeds in an orange, but you can't count the number of oranges in a seed. And what happened here was this was one big seed just sent into a country. When I was a student studying architecture, in, the, in those four years, I only saw two people come to faith, two of my fellow students, only two of them. Uh, one of them was a Greek girl, and the other one was a Scottish guy. Uh, the, they both came to faith in Jesus. I, I pray, cared, shared. And I, I went on that long-term journey with them, and I saw them come to faith. But Andrew, he's now a leader in a church in Bishop Briggs in Glasgow. And Mirto went to Dublin to be part with my friends in that church in Dublin. And they've seen hundreds and hundreds of people say hundreds of people saved in Dublin. So you can count the number of seeds in an orange, but you can't count the number of oranges in a seed. How does God change the world? Well, it's one life at a time. Just one life at a time. So pray, care, share. Let's pray. Father, we ask you in agreement that God, we would be courageous and loving and we would have those uh, deep emotions that the Apostle Paul felt for the lost. God, we know you have these deep emotions for the lost. You love the world so much you gave your only son. It cost you everything, God, to rescue us when we were lost. Thank you for loving us that much. We pray, God, would you give us that same love, that same compassion for people who don't know Jesus. I pray, anoint us, Holy Spirit, God, let us be drawn to need. Let us love people like you love us. And I pray, God, you'd give us the joy. It doesn't need to be thousands upon thousands, but give us the joy of just reaching one life at a time. I pray each one in this room, I pray everyone in this room would have the joy of leading at least one person, if not many, to the Lord. Uh, Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name. Give us the joy of seeing a harvest of souls. Whether we call ourselves evangelists or not, we're just Christians, and we want to tell our world about the Savior. We pray this, Lord, and we thank you with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, folks.